Today's Old Testament lesson comes from the first book of Samuel. Hear now the word of the Lord. And then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled. Then when they met him, they asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So we sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. A new favorite band of mine is Johnny Swim. You may have heard this little couple on HGTV, Chip and Joanna Gaines. They have this little show called Fixer Upper. The theme song is by Johnny Swim. You only hear the chorus in the show, but it's a great song about different people trying to make a journey home. Don't worry, I'm not gonna sing, but the chorus lyrics speak volumes. We ain't got time for looking back. We were bruised and beaten, lost on account of many reasons. Only love would make you understand. I cried out home. I love me some home. 
One of the verses is about a man taking a train ride heading home. Every time I hear it, it makes me think of a story my grandfather used to tell. Morris Byron Wynn Jr. was a World War II hero. He hated that term, but it was true even if he shot away from it. He spent almost a year of his life as a prisoner of war in a camp in Germany, surviving unspeakable circumstances. Once he was liberated and making his way home, he found himself on a train coming up from the coast. He was headed to Atlanta to be discharged. That train was making a stop that just so happened to be in his hometown. He got word to his family that he was coming through Macon. The train came a mere four blocks from here and Macon's terminal station. His mother, Sarah, and his sister, Dorothy, came to the station to stand on the platform to see him for the first time in several years. They were so close, and he had been through so much. It must have been agonizing to be able to see him, but not be able to embrace him. As much as he tried to talk his way off the train, he couldn't convince them to let him off. He had to finish the train ride before he could make it home. He was forced to do the best he could with the time he had at the stop, waving to his family, then continue on his journey. My own faith journey is kind of like that. There have been times in my life that I have been lost, emotionally beaten and battered. I'm sure Morris felt the same way. Defeated, exhausted, frustrated. I have been brought to my knees with grief and hurt. The only thing that kept me going was my faith and the love of those around me. A significant step in my faith journey is happening here today. It may not be a long journey. It's only 17 steps, as a matter of fact. I counted them. Normally, you see me standing behind the lectern, reading someone else's words. Biblical or not, they're not my own. But this side of the altar is a very different place. Mere steps away, but a light year's difference. Sharing my own heart, my own words, is very humbling and, quite frankly, a little scary. Standing here on the spot where so many great ministers have stood is daunting. Even when I help change out these beautiful hangings on the front of the pulpit, I don't tarry here. It's hard to feel worthy of these few square feet. The view and the responsibility are drastically different from one side to the other. But thank goodness we are all worthy of God's love and grace. And thank goodness even the most unlikely of choices is fit to stand here as a testament to his love. Mulberry's been on quite the journey these last few years, haven't we? Were you listening to that Old Testament reading today? When I was asked to preach this week many months ago, the first thing I did was look up today's scripture in the liturgy. The text was almost too close to reality. The people of Israel needed a new leader, one that had a heart for the Lord, and they were mourning leaders of the past. Mulberry's been on a very similar path. 
As we dig deeper into the story, the similarities continue. How does the Lord respond to Samuel's grief in that time? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. God's telling him to pick himself up. Keep moving forward. That had to be hard to hear on some level. Samuel was hurt and scared, lost for what to do next. And here the Lord was telling him to move it along. Don't stay in that place of grief and hurt. But he doesn't leave him there alone. The very next thing he says is that help is coming. He was giving him someone to help find the right choice for Israel, someone to cheer him on and guide him. He gave Samuel Jesse. The Lord doesn't make it easy for Samuel. He doesn't just give him the name of the next leader. He takes his time and shows him the reasons others are not right for the, before he reveals the new leader of Israel. This can be a very weighty and pressure-filled process. In the next few verses, we hear that both groups were scared of each other. Samuel was literally afraid of being killed when he rolled into town. And the people of Bethlehem were trembling, asking, do you come in peace? This is a very important decision that Samuel has to make. Not only does he have to do, it, do the will of the Lord, but he has to convince an entire nation that he has their best interest at heart. Ask anyone that has ever served on any staff parish relations committee, and they can attest to these feelings. It's a heavy weight to bear, and at times very scary. Some days you feel like you need a helmet and a flak jacket. Despite all of this fear, Samuel is obedient. He trusts that the Lord knows what is best, and he follows what he was told to do. He finds Jesse and consecrates him and all of his sons. Samuel's obedience and trust in hard times is admirable. How many times have we looked at a situation and said, nope, that looks too hard. They look like they want to eat me alive. I think I'm just going to turn around and go the other way. Inevitably, though, the other way, the safe way, the easier way is not always the best way. Sometimes we need to be like Samuel and keep pushing through the hurt and the worry to be able to stay on the path we are supposed to be on. Deal with the hard issues to be able to move past them. At this point, Samuel has come through a lot, but he still has not found the right leader for Israel. The next few verses describe a process that is basically like the speed dating of kingmaking. In verse 7, we get some excellent advice. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. He goes on to say, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Don't fall for a pretty face, the tall, handsome one. Look at the person's heart. I would have saved myself a lot of heartache over the years if I'd taken that advice. And I'm living proof that height does not matter. I have never once been accused of being tall. Furthermore, I'm standing on a great example that height is not a requirement to preach at Mulberry. We went so far as to build a box 
for the more vertically challenged ministers to stand on in the pulpit. It's affectionately known as the Ben Box, named for one of our great former associate pastors, Ben Gosden. And in true mulberry fashion, the stain perfectly matches the rest of the woodwork in the church. It's a powerful lesson for us all. Height, looks, neither matters if the person does not have a heart for the Lord. In total, there are seven times that the Lord tells Samuel to basically swipe left for Jesse's sons. All of them get a big, no thank you. Just when we think all hope is lost, we have our Cinderella moment. Before it was over, he would look through an entire family of potential leaders until he got to the right choice, the unexpected choice. He finds David, the youngest son tending sheep, the most unlikely of leaders and the most unlikely of places. Here at Mulberry, we're still looking for our next leader. It's been a very long process. The first part of the sermon today was laid on my heart almost immediately. I had no idea how it was going to end, but I knew how it would start. And with every passing day, a different potential pastoral scenario would come and it would go. I had no idea where we would go next. But the Lord kept saying, this is not the answer. The good news is, we have been gifted a Jesse. Help in our journey. A group of men who love us, loved ones to stand on the platform at the station and encourage us on the last leg of our journey. If you know me well, you know I name everything. So as soon as this unexpected choice was given to us, I started thinking of a nickname for them. Creed Henshaw, Tommy Martin, and Marcus Tripp was just too much to say all at the same time. So I thought about things like the triad, the collective, the Illuminati. I heard a lot of other suggestions from the congregation too. My favorite was the great Braves bullpen of Schmoltz, Glavin, and Maddox. But I think for me, I've settled on the triumvirate. In Roman times, it was named for Julius Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus. Later, the second triumvirate was comprised of Anthony, Lepidus, and Octavian. But the broader definition is a group of three noble people and existing in relation to each other. I can think of no one more notable to be in our corner cheering us on than these three. Our very own triumvirate. They will be able to help everyone involved in the process of finding a new minister to do the Lord's will and search out the most unexpected of choices. They will help the right person find a home here. Please know these men, as great as they are, are not the instant solution to all of our problems. No church is without them, and we certainly have some, but we have to do a lot of the work ourselves. Samuel doesn't use Jesse to solve the problems of Israel, nor does he make Jesse the new leader. He's a helper, a guide to finding the right path. And that's the gift these three men are giving us. And it is a gift. They're coming out of retirement for us. 
Would all of you that are retired run back to your jobs if they asked? And for all of us that still have our noses to the grindstone, think about how hard it is to come back after a vacation. But these three are genuinely excited and to be here and to help us, eager and willing to come out of retirement for the betterment of the mulberry. Morris's story is a great example of how a journey is completed. And that is great news for all of us here today. Morris came through some rough times. Despite all of that, purple heart and hand, bruised, beaten, lost, he found his way home. Imagine the joy his mother and sister and the rest of his family felt as he finally got discharged in Atlanta and made his way to Macon. He could finally be embraced by those that loved him. And look what he did with the life he was giving after that trying time. A wife he adored. Two children, four grandchildren, eight great-grandchildren. Countless hours taking care of family, friends, and neighbors. Generations learning his lessons and trying to live up to his example teaching us what it meant to have faith, instilling in us a love of this great country, showing us what it looks like to fiercely love your family, and modeling how to overcome any obstacle. Add in a full life of laughter and driving the boat at Lake Sinclair and dancing in the kitchen with his granddaughter and days filled with joy all because he had the courage to make it through and complete his journey. For me, the last few steps to the pulpit were some of the hardest to take. I sought a lot of advice from a lot of great people. I soaked it in. I listened, questioned, researched. But these last four steps, I had to take myself take all that I had learned and be the vessel that I was called to be today. The scripture was not necessarily the easiest one to preach on. It hit right to the heart of a time we are in now as a congregation. You know, my faith journey has a lot of the same prayer in it. <laughs> Please, Lord, make the answer to my decision so obvious that I cannot make the wrong choice. The lectionary once again proved to be the right scripture at the right time. And I was never promised this would be easy. And this is not the end of my journey either. In a few weeks, I go to complete my classwork to become a certified lay minister in the Methodist Church. But the classwork is only one more step in the process. I still have a long way to go. But what a gift I have that this congregation and its leaders are so supportive and caring of me in this adventure. I am positive that Mulberry will also complete its journey. We will find our David. We will welcome the right person to this place to share God's word. There is so much joy here. There's so much love and beauty within these walls, but the true beauty is in all of you and the love that we have for each other. You know, I've been to a lot of meetings this year where there have been a, a uh, where we've all been asked to introduce ourselves to someone new 
and tell them why we came to Mulberry. I've heard these stories so much, I can basically recite them verbatim. (laughs) But the one thing that stands out from every person in every meeting is that they came to Mulberry for one reason or the other, it's usually the music, but we stayed for the people. Our Sunday school classes, our Wednesday night supper groups, the choir, vibrant women's circles, or simply the people we share a row with on Sundays. We love each other, and it shows. The people we met with were in awe of the great strength we have in this congregation because of the bonds that we share. And that has nothing at all to do with how beautiful our building is. This building is just the icing on the cake. We can and we will do amazing things for God's kingdom here. On Wednesday, we get our cheerleaders, our triumvirate, our Jesse. There's a lot of work to do, but there is no other group of people I would rather journey with than the members of this church. Together, let's find our way home. Amen.